weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Come on and join the Joan Hamburg Show Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. And by the way, just a little reminder, we come to your homes every Sunday starting at 2. So I really would love you to be there. We have great guests from the publishing world, from the world of entertainment. If there's a hot new movie, we have the stars. If there's a Broadway show, we go there too. And we do a lot of features on where you can shop, where you can eat. I share all my adventures with you, and we've got plenty of them, whether you're having a beautiful afternoon tea in a tiny English hotel that you might not even notice, or you're going to follow me to a food hall that, big as it is, has all Asian food, right from Singapore. So we have a lot of adventures, and that's all part of our show. And on Sunday, Reva McIntyre, who's the queen of country and an extraordinary singer and actress and star, This woman has sold over 75 million recordings, and she's coming to visit and has stories to tell. I said, when I complain about I'm too busy, I think about Reba McIntyre, who's got a new book, who's got a whole retail conglomerate, including a restaurant and a bar. You name it, she's got it. A clothing line, a boot line, new music all the time. And she doesn't complain. She's having a really good time. And we're going to have a good time talking to her. So don't forget, Sunday at 2 o'clock, you want to be there because you want to know all the inside information on the people you love and the people you follow. So come share. I love having you as part of our audience. And I'm Joan Hamburg. And what are you listening to? WABC Radio. There is no better. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. It was a gray, gloomy day in New York. Not freezing, but just you didn't feel cheerful or happy. So a bunch of us said, let's treat ourselves to afternoon tea at the Whitby Hotel. Do you know that hotel? It's right off Fifth Avenue. It's two blocks from Central Park and near the Museum of Modern Art. It is the perfect little English hotel where you can enjoy a real English tea with beautiful china and a fabulous English decor. In fact, Wedgwood was part of the design team. They did the china used at the hotel. The pattern is so spectacular. It's called Sailor's Farewell, and it was lovely. And this hotel, you may not have paid attention to it. It sort of opened quietly in 2017. It's one of 10 properties owned by a London-based group called Firmdale Hotels. They have two in New York. The other is the Cosby, the Crosby Street Hotel, and they have a couple in London, including where when my son goes to London, sometimes to work, he stays at Covent Gardens. That's one of theirs. 
and they have the Soho Hotel, the Dorset Square Hotel, Nicebridge. They have great hotels in London. And Kit Kemp, who's co-owner and creative director, has designed the interiors. It was like, oh, we forgot how charming and beautiful it is. In fact, I thought, I'm going to buy my daughter, who loves China, a set of this afternoon tea service. The Wedgwood is called the Afternoon Tea Sailor's Farewell, and it's a set for four. But then I found out how expensive it was, $1,400. It does include a large teapot, beautifully decorated and designed, four teacups, four sauces, four afternoon plates, large sugar bowl, and a large cream. So we didn't buy it necessarily, although if you can afford it, it was quite wonderful. We sat in this charming dining room, had spectacular service, and this wonderful tea, which is served at the Whitby Hotel, one thirty to 5, Monday through Friday, noon to 5 on the weekend, 65 a person for the um, special tea. And that tea was so divine. It includes, for the $65, hot scones with clotted cream and preserves, a whole thing of sandwiches, smoked salmon, carnation chicken, cucumber and cream cheese, lovely desserts of Verona, chocolate chip mint cupcakes, pumpkin dulce de leche, cranberry kumquat and ginger tartlets, boss pear and fig cake, and your pitches of that clotted cream and preserves, and you can have hot chocolate or wonderful teas or coffee. If you want to splurge, you can pay more and have caviar with it, but we were happy just to do that gorgeous afternoon tea. So this is at the Whitby Hotel in the West 50s, right off Fifth Avenue, and the Crosby Hotel downtown serves a similar tea. It will cheer you up and really make you feel good. Plus, it is delicious. So don't forget about it. You can make a reservation, which I would definitely do, at 212-586-5656 or go to opentable.com or call the hotel. Tea at the Whitby. You'll feel like you're in London, honestly, and it is so attractive. And there's a booming bar in there, too. But we passed through the bar and went to this wonderful, bright charming dining room where they serve this gorgeous tea. And we felt really that we were on a little vacation. So treat yourself. Enjoy everything attractive about it, the china, the service, the good-looking people in the hotel. And we'll bring you more treats and ideas to make these gloomy days go by fast. I'm Joan Hamburg, and stay tuned to WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show, and I have a real treat today. And anytime you say to yourself, oh, I'm too busy, I can't do this, I can't do that, you are going to hear a day in the life of Reva McIntyre, who not only is a Grammy Award-winning entertainer and a fabulous country music star, in fact, the queen of country music, so many millions of records sold, over 75 million, and the number keeps going up. And Reva is going to continue her tour, and she's going to headline Madison Square Garden, the Hollywood Bowl. I don't know, and Reva, you've got a restaurant, a bar, and a retail store. <laughs> How, how do you do all that? And wait, I'm not even finished. Reva, a Lifetime movie, The Hammer, which um, is streaming right now, a book coming out in the fall. I cannot believe all this stuff that you're doing and clothing you're selling at Dillard's and boots. So you don't have a lot of time on the side, right? Oh, well, you know, somebody asked me last night, what do I like to do on my spare time? I said, I can reorganize a closet in a heartbeat, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have a lot of free time, but, um, we are very creative, Joan. We like to find projects to do. And especially when COVID hit, it was like, well, we can't do anything with all of us together. So let's start thinking some stuff up and start filling up the funnel again. And then when we are released to be able to go, record and work again, we'll be ready. See what comes out the bottom of the funnel. And amazingly enough, a lot of stuff did. So we were busy when uh, quarantines were lifted and doing Big Sky TV show on ABC and the Hammer touring and enjoying life. Just absolutely loving all the fun things we get to do. Uh, And it's great. So you did, through COVID, you just kept on going. Is that right? Well, what you we did during working? COVID is, no, we weren't working. We were just thinking up stuff to do when COVID was lifted. Uh, you know, everybody was sitting around, bored, didn't know what to do. So we just right. started, my whole team came up with ideas to do. That's where the the coffee table book started. Uh, well, we can't do nothing else. Let's write a book. And so it's a coffee hmm. table book with all kind of recipes and stories and pictures and funny anecdotes and I learned a lot on it because they would ask me questions like, what would you do at a an outdoor spring uh, party, barbecue? And, well, I didn't have any ideas, so we'd look it up and get ideas from other people. And um, it, it was a great learning experience, and it's going to be a cute, fun book to go through. I'm looking forward to that. Are, do you cook? Do you like to entertain? Or how do you have time, I should say, to entertain? Yeah, I do like to entertain. I like to cook. My boyfriend, Rex Lynn, and I, we love to get in the kitchen together and and, uh, cook, make up new stuff. He's the type of cook that will spend three or four days, you know, looking for the recipe and then preparing and making a brine and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I just throw it together. So we're two different kinds of cooks, so we have fun in the kitchen. I bet it sounds good. And where did the clothing come from? Well, the clothing line started about 18 years ago. 
when we partnered up with Dillard's and started doing uh, clothes and then got into boots with Justin Boots. I have over 100 pair of boots. So, oh, I love my boots. Thank you. Uh, I have over 100 pair in my boot room because I wear boots all year long. I wear boots more than I wear any other kind of footwear. And it's not uncomfortable to wear them all day when you're on your feet? No, no. My boots are very comfortable. They're padded, and um, I can go all day long with them. I I perform in them. Um, I wear them during the day, and just, it's, you know, you can wear an old pair of boots and look in style, or you can kind of make your outfit look a little more up-class and Mm -hmm. formal if it's a brand-new pair of boots, so you're covered. It sounds good. Well, can you imagine you? It's been a long journey from the singing McIntyres when you kids would get out there and entertain everyone you could. Yeah, it's been a long, great road. We had fun, Pake, Susie, and I singing together. Alice, our oldest sister, didn't sing with us that much. She was uh, the rodeo cowgirl. She because we were. Uh, third-generation rodeo kids, grandpap, daddy's daddy, and daddy, and Hank, Allison, uh, myself, we rodeoed. Susie married a rodeo cowboy but never rodeoed herself. So us three also sang, played basketball, and just had a really good time being together. And now here we are years later. Susie's still singing. Pake's still singing. And uh, I'm still making a pretty good living out of it myself, so we're having fun. (laughs) It sounds good. What did your family do in the rodeo? Did they rope? Was that their thing? Yes. Daddy and Grandpa were world champion steer ropers. Pake Pake has won lots of rodeos and steer ropings. Alice was a barrel racer. That was the women's timed event and rodeo. I did a little bit of it. I wasn't as good as Alice. I was more of a contributor, but I sure had fun doing it. And what makes it, what makes getting to go to Madison Square Garden April 15th, what makes that so special for me is that Daddy performed. He roped calves uh, at Madison Square Garden in 1946 and 1947. Mm. So I'm going back, and it's kind of a full circle thing that uh, Alice and Susie are going to get to come up and be with me for that. Pake's busy. He's working. And so we're really thrilled to get to be together in a place where Daddy was years ago and uh, in the same building. So it's going to be fun. I, it sounds like it's going to be great. And what's also great, you you have the talent, you have the talent early on, and yet it all started happening with rodeo and everything else. But how did it really happen? How did you even know or your parents know that, like you, really had what it takes? Well, I was the third of four children. I wasn't the oldest, I wasn't the youngest, and I wasn't the only boy. I was the third. So I didn't get the kind of attention I wanted, um, which is you're trying to always get good attention, not bad attention. But the only way I could get good attention is by singing. And so that kind of set me, I guess, apart a little bit. And I always volunteered at all the Christmas programs, Thanksgiving programs, to sing a solo at the programs. And then it just evolved to where we were the singing McIntyres. And then I got a job singing the national anthem 
at the National Finals Rodeo in Oklahoma City in 1974. Mama took me up there and stayed with me for all ten perform no nine performances. And Red Stegall was there. Uh, he's you know, very famous country western uh, swing singer, cowboy poet. And Mama said, can you get my three kids in the music business? He said, well, Jackie, I'm just really trying to keep my head above water. He said, but if you want to bring Reba to Nashville, we could try to get her in, and then she could bring the other two in. And so we did that. And Susie was in college. Pake was rodeoing, and, and they were happy with what they're doing. So I went down to Nashville. Yeah, Mama took me. We got a recording contract 11 months later. That it's all unbelievable. And that guy was an important influence in your life, right, introducing you and helping. Definitely. I just had dinner with him last night here in Scottsdale. We're still very close, great friends, and I just love him with all my heart. And there's no telling where I'd be today if it wasn't for Red Stegall. No, you, you never know. Is the rodeo life effect? I turned on something the other day, and they were doing, which you don't see in New York too often, bull riding. And is the rodeo a good life, an interesting life for families? Oh, it was the best for families because families rodeoed together, and you'd go to one rodeo this weekend, and the next weekend you're at another rodeo, and you're seeing your same friends because everybody's on the rodeo circuit trying to, you know, make a living out of it. Uh, so it was really tough for me to make the transition from rodeo to music business because I didn't know anybody. And I was scared, uh, you know, why would I want to leave my whole rodeo family for people right. I don't know? But the best thing Red did for me is he introduced me to wonderful people that I could trust and that would help take care of me. And it was a long time before I got a number one record, got my foot, got really established. But because it took so long, I did have a stronger foundation than being a one-night, overnight success, which I definitely was not. Well, that, that's pretty rare, right, in yeah. the country world? Yeah, it, well, any any profession. If you mm -hmm. don't make it big, have a number one record and on your first two or three singles, they'll will, they will uh, Drop you. find somebody else quicker. It's, it's a faster time now, but that was in the 70s, so... It was a slower time. Thank the Lord it was. So I got my education and learned and took notes. And, you know, I didn't know anything about the record business or the music business. We just sang around locally. Um, I thought you have a, radio, a song on the radio, you get a tour bus, and you're rich. Well, right. that's not the way it happens <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I was still living in a $10 a month rent house. Oh. Um, in the late 80s and 80s, 1980, I moved into a house with my first husband um, that really was a big improvement to what we were living in. So it just kept growing baby steps is what I had. Nothing nothing large, no big leaps and um, astronomical things happened. It was just baby steps. But what gave you the courage to hang on even though you had to face disappointment and rejection, which we all do along the journey, but it can be discouraging. And as you said, it didn't happen overnight. You had to really pay your dues. 
Well, Mama encouraging me, you know, she she told me, she said, if you don't want to do this, we'll go home. We don't have to pursue it. She said, but if you do go ahead and this works out, I'll be living all my dreams through you. Because Mama didn't get the opportunity that I did. And I said, well, shoot, why didn't you say that in the beginning? Heck, yeah, let's go do this sucker. Mm-hmm. And she was with me all the time. That's great. And what was the first number one record? The first number one record in 83 was Can't Even Get the Blues. My first single was I Don't Want to Be a One-Night Stand. Mm. That was kind of a uh, saying right at the beginning, I'm going to be here for a while, so get ready. And and how long, when you look back, did that take to happen? Well, I'd say, uh, well, at 75, I signed my contract. 76 was my first single. 83 was my first number one record. And in 84, I won my first female vocalist of the year. Um, That happened for four years in a row with uh, two Entertainer of the Year awards. So I'd say it it took uh, almost a good 10 years to really get your feet in in, in there and get solid. But you did. And when you have a number one record, is that life-changing? Or do you have to constantly prove yourself? Oh, constantly have to prove yourself. It's life-changing, too. Uh, matter of fact, when I got the, the news from my manager at the time, Don Williams, uh, that my song had gone number one, we were in a bus garage in DeSoto, Texas, because the front left wheel of our old tour bus was just fell about off. to fall off. <laughs> so we were in an old greasy uh, bus bar garage somewhere in Texas, and uh uh, I get the news, you've got a number one record. And I looked up and I said, wow, ain't life glamorous. But, well, you know, you just keep going. <laughs> and you did, and you're doing it. And Reba McIntyre, a lot of exciting things happening, headlining Madison Square Garden, the Hollywood Bowl. This is really big stuff. I'm very excited for you. I look forward to talking to you when the book comes out. And hearing more oh. about your adventures. Oh, thank you, Joan, so much. Thanks for having me on your program. I love talking to you, Reba McIntyre. Let's wait because we're all going to get tickets because it's going to be a terrific event in our own backyard. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for sharing, Reba. I'm Joan Hamburg. And much more ahead on WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And we have been following the career of a Democratic National Committeeman and um, partner of ZE Creative Communications, Robert Zimmerman, over this very hectic crazy year. If you remember, Robert 
ran against George Santos, who, you don't need me to tell you, this guy lies about everything. In fact, I wonder how he gets through life because he's not real. Everything in his world he has invented, whether it's school, his parents, you name it, everything has been unreal. So I've been very curious to talk to Robert with all the crazy stuff going on, not only elections where some of the candidates are so questionable, but everything, balloons flying in the air, horrible people running for public office. It's all there, train wrecks, transportation wrecks that are horrible all over the place. So Robert Zimmerman, as someone who has been involved politically on and off for a very long time, was there any lesson to learn from the latest race? You've certainly had a big adventure. Well, you know, there, out of this travesty that has, and this fraud and crime that's been perpetrated on the people of our congressional district, the third district, Nassau and Queens, and a crime that's been perpetrated on the state of New York uh, by having uh, this individual, George Santos, emerge in Congress. Out of this travesty, there's a, a lot of lessons that can be learned. And I think that's so important. First and foremost to me is the urgency of everyone investing in local media, standing up and supporting local media, whether it's your weekly newspapers, your daily newspapers, your local radio and TV stations, because they're the front lines in our democracy. They're the front lines in our defense of our democracy. We tried to sound the alarm on many of the issues about George Santos. We didn't have all of it. You know, a local congressional campaign can't send a crew to Brazil to look into his background or hire a genealogist. But there were many questions and many important issues we tried to raise. In fact, there were many lies that we exposed. But the reality is, because our media, our, 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 our big media markets are so short-staffed and there's so many races for them to cover, the marquee races get attention and the local races don't get attention. Uh, and so our local media, Blank Slate Media, uh, certainly uh, North Shore Leader and Newsday, raised a number of these issues, but they weren't picked up by a larger market. So to me, I think the stronger our local media is, the stronger our front lines of defense are in holding our elected officials and our candidates accountable. That's the most, that's the, I think a very important lesson to be learned because even when we raise these issues and try to get the media to dig in deeper, uh, the larger media just frankly said they didn't have the personnel, the money or the staff to do it. And so that's why I think it's a very important lesson. I think another important lesson to be learned is the urgency of everyone to vote for the individual. And I'm a proud Democrat. But I don't believe we should be just voting party lines. Uh, We had a Republican landslide in New York State that cost us four congressional districts, Mm -hmm. including the one I was running in, and many state legislative races. A lot of folks went to the booth and didn't even know who was running for the low, you know, the the top of the ticket, uh, but below the top of the ticket. So I think it's very important that people look at the candidates individually and ask questions. And I hope we go back to that time pre-COVID where we had civic groups having candidates' nights, and we had forums and debates constantly taking place because the more public scrutiny, the stronger our democratic process is. And frankly, in the race I was in, 
My opponent, George Santos, his strategy was to avoid the editorial boards, wouldn't appear in front of editorial boards. He debated me twice and refused to show up for any more debates. And in fact, his whole strategy was to work the Republican base and ironically try to be the law and order candidate. Isn't that ironic? Uh, Work the Republican base and hope for a Republican landslide. And that's what took place, and that's what put him over the top. And so I think being scrutinizing, voters looking at the candidates, having more going back to the days where we had more community debates and more more civic meetings where we interviewed the candidates is a very important step to take. And if candidates won't show up for these events, that should be very revealing to you. Right. So those are important lessons to learn as we go forward. Without question. And it's fascinating that he obviously thought that no one was going to look into him and you know, exaggerated from the Joan, beginning. It's, it's so true. And he's run twice for Congress. The local Republicans never looked into his background or validated his resume. The Democrat he ran against two years ago never did opposition research on him. And in fact, the Democrat won in a big Democratic year, didn't have to bother. And the only time there was any opposition research done was by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee when I ran against them. And we, we didn't have the full story from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. It's hard to imagine someone fictionalizing their entire life, but there was enough there to sound the alarm. And so um, that's a very, but your point's very well taken, uh, that there was not the scrutiny even by the local, by the local political party, by the local Republican Party, 20, ran for Congress twice. So that's but, why it's so important to have that public scrutiny of candidates. Without question. But how are the Republicans going to deal with him now? There's a handful who would love to get rid of him, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Well, I must tell you, one of the one of the highlights and one of the good one of the good pieces of news emerging from this travesty is watching this incredible bipartisan coalition emerge in our congressional district in Nassau and Queens County in the borough of Queens in Nassau County. We have rallies with 200 people attending, midday rallies attracting 200, 200 people at a time. We have petitions being circulated by different organizations, getting thousands of signatures. There's a bipartisan coming together, Democrats and Republicans alike, standing up and saying we've got to protect the in- integrity of our democracy. We've got to demand accountability, not just of George Santos and call for his expulsion, but also holding the Republicans accountable who will not call for his expulsion from Congress. With all the, doc, all the crimes Santos has already acknowledged and all the other crimes that have been revealed and the frauds that have been acknowledged and the lies that George Santos has actually told, with all that being said, um, there are still many Republicans in Congress who've refused to call for his ouster. Yeah. And they are, in fact, the Republican leadership who've refused to step up. They're accomplices to his crimes, and they've got to be held accountable too. Has this all been a turnoff for you? I mean, you who have... I must tell you, Joan, we know each other a long time. I've been a guest on your show for many years, and I've always taken such pride in our democratic process. It was the honor of my life to be the Democratic nominee for Congress. And this was quite a year, you know. They changed the district on us twice. Awful, yeah. And then they moved the count. The primary was moved from June to the end of August. So they cut off the general election by two months. We had a total of 10 weeks for the general election which was very tough. So this was an arduous year, plus changing the district from what was a Democratic-leaning seat to what was ultimately a seat that the Republicans won for governor on down in the landslide. So it was a tough year. But that being said, it was the honor of my, my life to run. I believe deeply in the role of our democracy. I believe deeply in our democracy. It's a, it's a passion of mine. It inspires me. 
And the role of Congress has never been more important, never been more important both in terms of protecting our democracy, standing up for our rights as citizens, and most of all, being of service to our district. You know, people fail to realize it's not just the crimes that George Santos has committed that are, are really scandalous. It's the fact that he's incapable of serving as a congressman. He's not on any committees. He literally is like running. He's like on the lamb, as they say in the movies. He's like a fugitive from the law. No one ever, he never, one ever sees him in the district. No one knows where he lives. Whenever he's in Washington, he's always running away from the press. And so as a result, I'm getting phone calls from constituents, um, the people that I know over the years who ask me for help with issues pertaining to Social Security checks, veterans assistance. And we sort of all are trying to pitch in because of our, my background in congressional affairs to help mm-hmm. people. Local villages who need infrastructure funds, town governments that need assistance for road repair. You know, a member of Congress plays a very pivotal role in terms of bringing dollars back to our district to protect our property values, protect our water quality, protect our roads, infrastructure needs, and also plays a very pivotal role in standing up for citizens who don't have a voice. So members of Congress are pitching in to help the district. I'm pitching, and we're all doing our best to try to provide some sort of support for our constituents, uh, our citizens in this district, because our congressman is totally checked out. Right, and they're not getting rid of him, or they talk it. But I believe, I believe he will be expelled. <laughs> I think what's going to happen is, when the indictments come down, and there will be certainly indictments, and already he's already acknowledged crimes, by the way. On top of that, it'll be too big for the Republicans to ignore. And at one point, there'll be enough Republicans in the House saying to Kevin McCarthy. This is unacceptable. I can't defend it anymore back in my district. And I believe as a result, they'll be either through the indictments that he'll face or through the political pressure uh, to remove him because of his crimes. I believe ultimately he will be expelled. He'll be removed from Congress, either through resignation or through expulsion. Well, that, that will be very interesting. If yeah, that it happens. really will be. It takes two thirds of the House chamber to remove a member of Congress, already one half. The Democrats, and I believe now 10 Republicans, have committed to his expulsion. So then it becomes a question of when will the rest of the Republicans, and I think it's building, because every day there's another scandal breaking. Every day there's another crime being discovered. Uh, There's another lie being discovered. And for many of these Republicans, they don't want to go home to their district and have to defend why they're supporting George Santos. They want to talk about what they're doing in the district. Of course, as always. And that's why I think the pressure is going to build on them to ultimately remove them. And I would say we should all be contacting our local members of Congress. To get rid of of them. All of your listeners. If if your member of Congress has not demanded that this criminal and this fraudster be removed, call your member of Congress and make it clear. This is about making sure New New York has a voice in Congress, which we don't have now, and making sure that we stand up for against public corruption. That's the first that's the first obligation of every public official. And we should demand that be done. Well, without question, there's no reason that we have to accept this and get the bottom of the pot. That's exactly right. Right. Who, despite lie after lie after lie, says, eh, I'm still going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. But look, he's finally look, Santos finally has a job that gives him health insurance. He's not going to leave on his own. He's a sociopath. He has no shame. Well, he but, swears that he's not going to leave at all. I well, thought that you. lying on the animal charity, you know how crazy yeah, animal course. people are in a I, good I'm way. the same way. I'm the same way. But you're dealing with a person who has no shame. He's a sociopath. He's not going to resign. 
Uh, he's he's never had a job before that paid him this, you know, pays him and gives him health care. But the public pressure will be the difference. So calling upon members this, of Congress, calling on members of Congress like Nicole Maliotakis from Staten Island and Brooklyn, who has not called for George Santos's uh, removal from Congress, not called for his expulsion. She has an obligation to make sure New York has strong voices fighting for it right now, and we don't certainly with George Santos in Congress. Uh, and make and and to the credit of other, there are many Republicans who've called for his expulsion, and we have to call upon those Republicans like uh, Nicole Maliotakis to make sure they stand up and speak out too. And there, because standing up to public corruption should be the first obligation of every public official. Without question. So someone like you, who has been involved politically, not running for office until now, but really believed in the American dream and all the possibilities, is this not a turnoff that this has happened and seems to continue happening? Look, I'm not going to kid you. It is sad and it is frustrating. And I, we did our very best to sound the alarm on him. And in a year where the governor's race and the issue of crime dominated the discussion and the marquee races, of course, dominated the headlines, it's, it's certainly sad and frustrating. But, you know, all the more reason to stand up stronger. Our democracy's faced worse challenges than George Santos. Our nation has faced worse challenges than George Santos. And we can't let an individual like that discourage us from participating, standing up for what we believe in, believing in our country and our institutions. And fortunately, we have a system in place where we can make the changes uh, to restore our democracy and restore our voice in Washington. We just have the courage, we have to have the courage and commitment to make sure that we make those changes. So that's right. what I'm committed to doing. I'm giving it my all uh, to make sure that he is removed from Congress. And it's not because what we're facing right now, Joan, it's so much bigger than my dreams and aspirations. Right now, it's about standing up to a crime that was committed in our congressional district, a fraud perpetrated on the voters. Everything about this individual proved to be a lie. His biography, his resume, uh, he's acknowledged committing crimes. Um, it's all been documented, and there's more that's being revealed every day. So it's important. I'm, I'm encouraged by seeing Democrats and Republicans come together with that commitment. You know, we can have our differences as Democrats and Republicans. That's healthy and good. But we should always be able to have confidence in the integrity of our public officials. And when they show themselves to be criminals and frauds, we have to demand that they be removed. And that's that's my mission right now. All right. And that makes us want to look behind some of the other candidates because... Let me tell you. Who can you believe, right? Well, you know something? It's imperative for all of us by supporting our local media so they have the capacity to investigate. And it's incumbent upon all of us as voters not to vote the party line, but look Just at our candidates. Make sure, make sure that we know who we're voting for. I think that's going to be – just don't believe the rhetoric. Look at the credentials. That's, I think, an important lesson from this experience. And most of all, to vote and stand up for, stand up for our democracy because we don't stand up for our democracy and don't participate. We in, open the door to more corruption. Well, so I think we can, yeah. I think we can turn this around, and uh, it's, it's certainly the cause and mission of my life. Right. Well, you've got a lot of courage and a lot of belief, and that's what we need. Robert Zimmerman. Always great to be with you. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Good luck. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. And that's you're hearing the story behind the story and what has been going on. So don't go away. Stay tuned. There's lots more. 
the First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. One of my treats every year is to go to the Orchid Show, part of the New York Botanical Garden. It's been happening for 20 years. And even though we've had spring-like weather, it's so nice when it's gray like it is this time of year to go to the Enid Haupt Conservatory at the Botanic Garden and seeing these incredible orchids, thousands of them, in full bloom. It says spring. And this year's show is called Natural Heritage, and it actually has a famous landscape artist, Lily Kwong, as the guest designer. And it talks about the healing power of the natural world through flowers and heritage. And you are surrounded with these thousands of glorious orchids, and they become totally part of nature amidst a picture-perfect beauty. And Lily was a former student at their adult education program, and her works are an intersection between landscape, wellness, and art. Now, it opened this weekend, and it runs through April 23rd. Tickets are on sale at the Botanic Gardens or nybg.org. They are 35 for adults, 31 for students, and older people, 15 for kids, 2 to 12. And the tickets not only include the show, but they include a tram tour. And they have something interesting. Orchid Night is Saturday evenings from 7 to 10. And if you're 21 years or older, it's a party. Cocktails, music, food and more. So you've got these breathtaking orchids. You've got a party, literally. And check it out. You're really going to love it. Tickets for the whole evening are 39, and they can be purchased at nybg.org slash orchid tickets. So you got it? nybg.org slash Orchid tickets. And it's really something charming to do. And you've got the whole night for a reasonable amount. And it's an interesting way to meet people, too. I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.